Hi everyone, this is Dr. Gayla. Welcome to your Health Connection. It's great to be with you. This podcast is designed to give you natural solutions to your health problems based upon my 35 years of experience as a functional medicine practitioner. I love helping individuals experiencing complicated conditions when nothing else has worked. Each week I'll be giving you health tips and strategies that you can implement to improve your health and function at your best. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Hi everyone, this is Dr. Gala. I'm so happy to be with you. Today we'll be talking about problems that you may be experiencing in your upper GI tract. Esophagitis, gastric reflux, commonly known as GERD, heartburn, and gastritis. Before we get into upper GI issues, I thought we'd first take a look at why we've seen such a rise in chronic health problems over the past 25 years and why the CDC is reporting that 6 in 10 American adults are suffering with a chronic disease. We've come so far in overcoming infectious diseases and many acute health problems but really haven't been able to find the root cause and completely resolve chronic health conditions such as irritable bowel disease, eczema, headaches, allergies, anxiety, depression, and autoimmune diseases. So today and in future podcasts, we'll be taking a look at what you can do to discover the root cause of your chronic health problem, eliminate the need for medications that only treat the symptoms, and resolve the problems for good. About 2,000 years ago, Hippocrates, the father of medicine, stated, all disease begins in the gut. Your gut consists of your mouth, stomach, small intestine, gallbladder, liver, pancreas, and colon. In functional medicine, we always begin by evaluating and addressing your gut because we believe that about 95% of chronic health problems are due to inflammation. And we know that inflammation results from problems within your gut. Your gastrointestinal system plays a role in almost every facet of your health. When your gut is unhealthy, your whole body is at risk. Because your digestive system impacts your immune, nervous, and endocrine systems, when your gut is not functioning properly, the activities of your other systems are going to be compromised. Because there are so many components that make up your gut, today we'll be focusing on the first part of your gut, your esophagus and stomach. We'll be looking at what is normal, what can go wrong, and why it's important to address your gut issues with natural medicine. We'll take a look at some patient case histories so that you get a clear understanding of how to approach and resolve your health issues. Before we focus on the esophagus and stomach, let's take a journey through your digestive system. All of the components of your digestive system must be working properly in order for your food to be properly digested and absorbed into your blood. To be healthy, it's not just a matter of what you eat, it's a matter of what you absorb. I thought we'd have some fun and pretend that we could shrink, get into a tiny little capsule, and take a ride through our digestive system in order to gain an understanding of how everything works. Let's take a ride with the salmon and vegetables you just ate for dinner. Your mouth starts things off by breaking up the food with your teeth and starting the digestion of the sugar in your vegetables with chemicals called enzymes. Your tongue pushes the food to the back of your mouth where it's then swallowed and travels down the esophagus to your stomach. Your esophagus doesn't digest the food, but it does the important job of pushing the food down into your stomach. The salmon and veggies now arrive in your stomach. Your stomach produces hydrochloric acid, 
that helps to kill bacteria and other germs that may get into your food, and it starts the digestion of the protein in your salmon. Your stomach churns the food to break it down into small particles. It then pushes the small particles of food into the first part of your small intestine, called the duodenum. Your small intestine is where most of the digestion and absorption of your food takes place. In your small intestine, the protein and fat in your salmon and the carbohydrates in your vegetables are broken down into tiny particles by enzymes that are released by your pancreas. These tiny particles of digestive foods, vitamins, and minerals then move through a special barrier wall in your intestine and move into your blood. The barrier wall is a type of filter that allows the absorption of healthful nutrition, nutrients into your blood and it blocks the harmful substances such as toxins, bad bacteria, and undigested food particles from gaining entrance into your blood. Once the nutrients pass into your bloodstream, they're carried to your liver. Your liver has the job of processing all the nutrients, vitamins, and other things you ingest and absorb each day and will turn protein, sugars, and fats into energy that will feed the cells of your body. What has not been absorbed in your small intestine will now move into your large intestine, where minerals such as potassium, calcium, sodium, and magnesium, along with water, will be absorbed into your blood. The components of the salmon and vegetables that are not needed or cannot be absorbed are then excreted out of your body through your colon. Over the next few podcasts, we'll be taking a look at problems that can occur in your small and large intestine. But today we'll begin with discussing problems that can occur in your esophagus and stomach. These include esophagitis, gastric reflux or GERD, heartburn, and gastritis. If you suffer with esophagitis, this means that you have inflammation, irritation, or swelling of the lining of your esophagus. Do you suffer with the following symptoms? Heartburn, acid regurgitation, belching, difficulty or pain when swallowing? Do you have the sensation that food just sticks in your esophagus or chronic sore throat, laryngitis, or hoarseness in the morning? Are you coughing at night? These are symptoms of esophagitis, a condition in which you have inflammation, irritation, or swelling of the lining of your esophagus. According to Harvard Health, esophagitis can be caused by taking certain medications, such as non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, or NSAIDs. These include aspirin, Aleve, and Advil, over-the-counter pain relievers. These pain relievers work by blocking the production of hormone-like substances called prostaglandins. They were named prostaglandins because they were first isolated in the male prostate gland. Researchers in the early 1950s discovered that pain and inflammation result when we have high levels of prostaglandin 2s. Your body makes these hormone-like substances from eating high amounts of animal products. The non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs work by suppressing the high levels of prostaglandin 2s. But, unfortunately, when you block the production of prostaglandin 2s, you also block the production of the good guys, the prostaglandin 1s. And the prostaglandin 1s are what protect the delicate lining of your entire GI tract from any harm. When you lose that protection, the lining of your esophagus, stomach, and small intestine is then vulnerable to injury from non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, 
spicy or acidic foods such as citrus, tomato, or coffee. Most doctors recommend antacid and acid blockers such as Pepsid, Zantac, or proton pump inhibitors called PPIs, such as Prilosec, Nexium, or Protonix. Unfortunately, antacids do not stop the acid from going to where it doesn't belong, up into your esophagus. The reason the acid moves up into your throat is because the valve at the bottom of your esophagus, just before your stomach, called the lower esophageal sphincter, or LES, no longer stops the contents from your stomach from going into your esophagus. This valve is supposed to be shut tight when food is present in your stomach and prohibits stomach contents from moving up. Dr. Norm Robillard in his book, Heartburn Cure, The Low-Carb Miracle, states that carbohydrate malabsorption may be the cause of your gastric reflux. If your carbohydrates do not break down properly in your small intestine, you can develop an overgrowth of bad bacteria known as SIBO, or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. High levels of gas produced by these bad bacteria can cause your lower esophageal sphincter to open inappropriately, mimicking acid reflux. This can lead to the symptoms of GERD and esophagitis. SIBO, or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, can result from taking acid inhibitors because you need hydrochloric acid in your stomach to kill bacteria that come in on your food and also to stimulate the release of your pancreatic enzymes to help digest your carbohydrates. Without enough hydrochloric acid, your body can't digest carbs properly. The unwanted or bad bacteria in your small intestine will ferment the undigested carbs and produce gas. This gas production increases abdominal pressure and also contributes to GERD and esophagitis. The lower esophageal sphincter can also become relaxed and not do its job if you have food allergies or consume too much caffeine, alcohol, or spicy foods. Eosinophilic esophagitis is often caused by food allergy. Eosinophils are white blood cells that are produced in response to allergy or infection, and they cause inflammation, irritation, and swelling. Eosinophils should not be present in your esophagus. Since certain foods in your diet can worsen your symptoms, my first recommendation would be to get checked for food allergies and sensitivities. Keep a food journal so you can track your symptoms and learn which foods make you feel worse and avoid them. Your irritated esophagus could be caused by heartburn. If acid from your stomach backs up into your esophagus, it can burn and damage the lining of your esophagus. Eating spicy or acidic foods can make your inflamed esophagus worse. The National Institutes for Health recommends avoiding spicy foods because they can be irritating, coffee because it increases stomach acid, and caffeine may weaken the esophageal sphincter, increasing your risk of acid reflux. Alcohol, citrus, raw onions and tomatoes, peppermint, chocolate, and fatty, greasy foods. There's growing evidence that low-carb diets may relieve acid reflux symptoms. Scientists suspect that the undigested carbohydrates in your small intestine may be causing an overgrowth of bad bacteria and elevated pressure inside your abdomen that can relax your LES, your esophageal sphincter, and push stomach contents up into your esophagus. 
We'll be discussing small intestinal bacterial overgrowth in detail in our next podcast when we talk about problems within your small intestine. Let's take a look at some of the foods that can help heal when your esophagus is inflamed. Alkaline foods, including melons, small amounts of banana, leaky, leafy greens, celery, cucumbers, artichokes, asparagus, peas, zucchini, lettuce, avocado, asparagus, broccoli, green beans, and nuts. High fiber foods such as brown and wild rice, sweet potatoes, carrots, pumpkins, beets, wild caught fish, and pastured lean meats. Stick to foods that are cool or at room temperature rather than very hot or cold. If your symptoms are severe, you may need to cook your foods until they're very soft and blend them into a puree. Eating smaller meals and eating dinner several hours before going to bed can be helpful. Chewing chewing gum can reduce the acidity in your esophagus. Chewing gum is associated with increasing saliva production and may help clear your esophagus of acid. I prefer gum that's been sweetened with xylitol. It's a natural sweetener from birch tree, and studies have shown that chewing xylitol gum, that's Z-Y-L-I-T-O-L, can help prevent ear infections and cavities. I'd like to go over the story of a 23-year-old female who came into our office a few years ago. Four weeks before coming into our office, she choked on food, and someone had performed a Heimlich maneuver. One week later, she had trouble swallowing and severe pain when she had anything to eat or drink. She was really suffering. She also suffered with nausea, gas, bloating, and abdominal pain. She had an endoscopy that, an endoscopy that revealed severe esophagitis and gastritis. I recommended doing a DNA stool test to check for pathogens, and I recommend, recommended testing for food allergies. We ended up recommending what's called an elemental diet, which is a liquid diet, to give her entire GI tract a rest and allow the bad bacteria in her stomach and small intestine to starve. After only nine days, all of her bloating, nausea, and abdominal pain were completely gone. After 10 days, she was able to start consuming broths and cooked vegetables. She was then able to add shredded chicken, and we slowly added back in cooked vegetables and then raw vegetables and fruits. Her problems with swallowing, gas, nausea, and abdominal pain were completely gone. Her DNA stool test to check for pathogens revealed that she had presence of or high levels of Helicobacter pylori, and that's the bacteria that causes stomach ulcers. Her food allergy test was positive for several allergens, eggs, dairy, wheat, oats, citrus, soy, several spices, and peanuts. These are really common food allergens. We recommended an elimination diet and how to avoid her sensitivities, and we also recommended that she get allergy clearing done. We recommended the following supplements, DGL licorice, L-glutamine, and aloe vera, because these are, have been shown, these supplements or items have been shown to decrease inflammation and help heal your gut lining. We recommended a powder form and had her take it several times per day. We also recommended zinc carnosine because zinc has been shown to rebuild the lining of the esophagus and the GI tract. We recommended mastic gum to inhibit the growth of H. pylori bacteria and MSM, a derivative of the amino acid methionine. It's found in raw cabbage and raw cabbage juice has been shown in studies to help support the lining of your GI tract 
and help with the symptoms of H. pylori. If you'd like to see any of these recommendations, please visit us at drgala.com. That's D-R-G-A-I-L-A.com. If you go there, you'll find a list of the products I recommend in my office and also a transcript of this podcast. Now let's move into our next topic. Do you have the following symptoms? A burning sensation in your chest? Are you regurgitating food after you eat? Are you belching? Do you have nausea and vomiting, chronic cough, sore throat, hoarseness, or difficulty swallowing? If you have these symptoms, you may have GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease, a problem that's experienced by about 60 million Americans. This is a condition in which the contents of your stomach or small intestine move back up into your esophagus and cause heartburn. Some of the causes include taking the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, aspirin, Advil, Motrin, or Aleve, taking certain blood pressure medications. Ask your doctor if you're taking blood pressure medications about the side effects. Osteoporosis medications such as Fosamax and Actinel. Obesity. Food allergies such as eggs, dairy, wheat, oats, soybean, peanuts, and citrus. Milk products. Spearmint and peppermint can relax the lower esophageal sphincter and allow reflux, carbonated beverages, and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. We discussed that earlier. For nearly 80 years, there's been unchallenged scientific dogma that heartburn, more recently dubbed GERD, or gastroesophageal reflux disease, is due to the overproduction of stomach acid. Tens of millions of Americans have chewed Tums, taken acid blockers, such as Zantac and Pepsid, and now rely on even more powerful proton pump inhibitors, including Prilosec, Prevacid, Nexium, and Protonix. But according to a revolutionary new study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, we've been, we may have been missing the real underlying cause. GERD is caused by inflammation, not hyperacidity. Let me repeat that. GERD is caused by inflammation, not hyperacidity. Inflammation results when a part of your body becomes reddened, swollen, hot, and often painful, usually as a reaction to injury or infection. The presence of, of bad bacteria, consuming too much alcohol, certain medications, chronic stress, or other immune system problems can lead to inflammation. When inflammation occurs in your stomach, the lining can change and loses some of its protective cells. Researchers at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center and Dallas VA Medical Center have proven that GERD is actually an inflammatory response promoted by the secretion of proteins called cytokines. Researchers burned the intestinal linings of mice with acid equivalent to the pH of refluxed stomach juice. They discovered that the resulting damage was not consistent with a typical pathology of GERD. Rather, the acid triggered a slow-developing inflammatory cascade that took weeks to resemble the usual findings of GERD. This doesn't mean that acid suppression isn't without value in treating GERD, but it does suggest that targeting inflammation would be a much better way of treating and preventing it, especially since we know that long-term use of, use of acid inhibitors has so many side effects. I've also discovered that many of my GERD patients get only incomplete or partial relief from taking antacid drugs. 
Why should this matter to you? Well, if you're one of the estimated 20% of Americans suffering with upper gastrointestinal pain, while acid blockers offer temporary relief, they don't get to the bottom of the problem. And that's why millions of Americans remain reliant upon them, sometimes for their entire lifetimes. When acid-blocking medication is used for more than a few weeks, there's a high risk of rebound. From the standpoint of the pharmaceutical industry, this makes proton pump inhibitors an ideal drug category. When you stop using them, the pain often recurs, making you think you still need to take them, even when the discomfort you experience is not due to unhealed esophageal erosion, but rather rebound hyperacidity. You're hooked, often for a lifetime. Many doctors are okay with that and prescribe an endless supply of the medication. We talked about the lower esophageal valve earlier and that, and that it relaxes, that when it relaxes and doesn't stay closed because of food allergies and sensitivities, caffeine or alcohol consumption. This also happens when none of these are present. Doctors are not sure why, but some theorize that more acid, not less, is needed. To keep the valve firmly shut, you may need more acid production because we know that the valve relaxes in the presence of low stomach acid. Jonathan Wright, MD, in his book, Why Stomach Acid is Good for You, relates the fact that when people over 40 who have heartburn, indigestion, and gas are tested, over 90% have inadequate stomach acid levels. Many studies have supported this claim. Many people develop heartburn in later years just as acid production is declining, so it doesn't seem likely that heartburn is related to too much stomach acid at all. Yet when one goes to a doctor for a heartburn cure, antacids and proton pump inhibitors are often prescribed without any testing on stomach acid levels. Ironically, when the test is done, it often reveals a lack of stomach acid rather than too much. This fact supports the theory that more stomach acid keeps the lower esophageal sphincter more tightly closed. Stomach acid is needed for the digestion and absorption of proteins, vitamins, minerals, and other nutrients. Older people in particular who have lower levels of stomach acid have difficulty absorbing, absorbing uh, sufficient nutrition. Stomach acid is a barrier that can help prevent bacteria and other unwanted microorganisms from getting further into your digestive tract, causing small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or intestinal infections. Because many people suffering from heartburn have low stomach acid, some doctors have found that hydrochloric acid supplementation often cures the problem. The supplements also restore the digestive system, which enables better absorption of nutrients. It's best to get tested and be under the care of a licensed health care practitioner before taking hydrochloric acid supplements. In one study, U.S. researchers found that over 30% of men and women past the age of 60 suffer from something called atrophic gastritis. This is a condition marked by little or almost no hydrochloric acid production. Some of the causes of hydrochloric acid deficiency are chronic stress, long-term use of acid inhibitors, lack of B vitamins in your diet, taking birth control pills, low thyroid function, or excess alcohol consumption. 
Some of the most common signs and symptoms of hydrochloric acid deficiency include burping after meals. That's a really common symptom. Bloating, nausea, a feeling of fullness as soon as you start eating, gas, weak, brittle nails, fatigue, and hair loss, especially in women. Here's a protocol that you could try to see if you have too much or too little acid production. Take a few teaspoons of apple cider vinegar and water before each meal. This will increase your stomach acid production. If your reflux is better, this is an indication that you have too little production of hydrochloric acid. If your reflux gets worse, this indicates that you have too much acid production. It's well known that taking acid-inhibiting drugs can cause deficiencies of magnesium, B12, vitamin D, calcium, zinc, iron, and other nutrients. Let's take a look at a case history regarding this topic. A 56-year-old woman diagnosed with GERD came in to see me. She was suffering with severe fatigue, bloating, constipation, and muscle cramping. After ordering a comprehensive blood panel, we found that most of her symptoms were due to deficiencies of vitamins and minerals that had been caused by taking protonics and inhibiting the production of her hydrochloric acid for eight years. Her her fatigue turned out to be anemia that resulted from deficiencies of iron and B12. Her muscle cramping was due to deficiencies of both calcium and magnesium. Hydrochloric acid production in your stomach is necessary for the absorption of calcium, magnesium, B12, and iron. Numerous studies have shown that hydrochloric acid secretion declines with age. I knew that just treating the symptoms without identifying the underlying cause of her discomfort was not going to eliminate her problem. We first recommended an anti-inflammatory diet because we knew that she had inflammation in her gut. We eliminated inflammatory foods, including eggs, gluten, dairy, soy, peanuts, processed, packaged, and junk foods, and acidic foods. We then ordered a DNA stool test to identify any pathogens or bad bugs in her gut and to evaluate her levels of inflammation, any need for enzymes or other nutrients. We found that she had high levels of bad bacteria in her gut and treated her with antimicrobials to kill the bad bugs. She also had a need for enzymes and hydrochloric acid, so we gave her a supplement containing both. At the proper time, we recommended the appropriate probiotics and then recommended a product to repair the injury to the lining of her GI tract. In a few minutes, we'll discuss how damage to the lining of the GI tract can lead to a leaky gut and is an underlying cause of inflammation in your body. We recommended iron and vitamin B12 to treat her anemia and magnesium to help alleviate her muscle cramping and constipation. Her symptoms of GERD, fatigue, bloating, constipation, and muscle cramping disappeared. We know that SIBO symptoms are often misdiagnosed as acid reflux. Proton pump inhibitors are frequently used to treat SIBO symptoms, and this keeps the cycle of symptoms going. Let's take a a look at a case that demonstrates this. In November of 2019, a 36-year-old male went to the emergency room suffering with severe bloating and severe gas pain. The ER ER doctor prescribed protonics, even though he didn't have any symptoms of acid reflux. His symptoms were bloating and severe abdominal pain, symptoms of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. He came to my office because after taking protonics for three months, he wanted to wean off. 
He followed his gastroenterologist doctor's instructions and began taking it every two days. He developed severe acid reflux symptoms. He was up all night with terrible pain and burning, and he'd never had symptoms of acid reflux before. He was experiencing a severe rebound overproduction of stomach acid. These proton pump inhibitors inhibit about 70% of your stomach acid. The pharmaceutical companies warn people to only take them for two to eight weeks. We recommended taking, trying baking soda and water, guava leaf tea, aloe vera gel, chewable deglycerized licorice, zinc carnosine, and mastic gum. These products are usually very helpful for patients with acid reflux symptoms. They weren't helping him. We ordered a DNA stool test to evaluate the health of his gut. We checked him for food allergy. We asked him to follow an anti-inflammatory diet and avoid foods that he developed sensitivities to. The most common offenders were eggs, gluten, dairy, soy, peanuts, citrus, alcohol, caffeine, and fried foods. We recommended herbals to ease his anxiety. He had the presence of a high amount of bad bacteria on his stool test and also had the presence of certain bacteria that can cause SIBO symptoms. So we recommended antimicrobials to kill the bad bacteria. We also recommended a soil-based probiotic to address the bacterial overgrowth in his small intestine. Due to COVID-19 stay-at-home order, he is currently a work in progress. He's not been able to stop or even decrease his dosage of protonics. His GI doctor did an upper GI and several tests, and his answer was to continue the protonics and add the pepsid because now the protonics wasn't working. He's now taking one protonics and two to three pepsid every day to stop the reflux and burning that he didn't have before taking the proton pump inhibitor. What's crazy is he never had reflux and burning before the acid inhibitor. His symptoms were abdominal pain and bloating, the symptoms of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Our next step with him will be to follow an elemental diet. This is a liquid diet, so it's important to be under the care of a licensed healthcare practitioner if you're considering following an elemental diet. A study published in the American Journal of Gastroenterology in 2003 was done on 346 patients who suffered with chronic GERD symptoms and eosinophilic esophagitis. There was significant improvement in vomiting, abdominal pain, and difficulty swallowing after taking the elemental diet. The number of esophageal eosinophils decreased from 33.7 before the diet to only one after the diet. That's a decrease from 33.7 to 1. The average time for clinical improvement was only eight and a half days. We usually recommend doing an elemental diet for 14 to 21 days for patients who have severe GERD, bloating, uh, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, constipation, or severe diarrhea to give your GI system a complete break to allow the healing of your gut. An elemental diet actually starves the bad bacteria of fuel, and it gives your digestive system a break from allergies, sensitivities, enzyme, enzyme deficiencies, and irritation. It helps to calm an inflamed esophagus where the tissues are infiltrated with those immune cells called eosinophilic esophagitis. It decreases inflammatory chemicals called cytokines, and it helps to heal leaky gut. 
Let's talk about gastritis. If you have gastritis, your stomach lining is red, swollen, and inflamed. It can be caused by drinking too much alcohol, eating spicy foods, extreme stress, long-term use of aspirin and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, infections, certain bacteria and viruses, food allergies, and Helicobacter pylori or H. pylori. This is the most common cause of gastritis and ulcers. If you have abdominal pain, your doctor may prescribe an acid inhibitor. I'd like to share a story that relates to this. When I was doing my hospital and clinical rotations in Phoenix, a patient came in with abdominal pain and symptoms of an ulcer. I wanted to check her for the presence of H. pylori bacteria, the bacteria that causes stomach ulcers. The internal medicine doctor who was my senior instructed me to write a prescription for Prilosec because he wanted to inhibit her stomach acid production to decrease her pain. I knew that that would only treat the symptoms and probably wouldn't fix the root cause of the problem. The root cause was likely due to an infection called by, caused by H. pylori bacteria. Unfortunately, when you inhibit 70% of your hydrochloric acid production with an acid inhibitor for a long period of time, there are going to be consequences. He said, well, the insurance wouldn't cover the cost of the test and that it was too expensive to run so I wasn't allowed to order the test and had to write the prescription. The prescribing recommendation from the maker of Prilosec recommends taking it for two to eight weeks. Unfortunately, we know that many patients take it for years, and we know that there are consequences from taking acid inhibitors for more than two to eight weeks. Here are some of the symptoms of gastritis. Stomach upset or pain, belching, abdominal bleeding, nausea and vomiting or a feeling of fullness, in your stomach, loss of appetite, and seeing blood in your stool or dark stool. The test you should do, first a DNA stool test to check for the presence of H. pylori and other pathogens. I consider the DNA stool test the gold standard. You could do a blood test to check for H. pylori and anemia. You may need an upper GI series to check your esophagus, stomach, and duodenum for ulcers. Try the apple cider vinegar test to see if you have too much or too little acid production. You can also take a breath test to check for bacterial overgrowth in your small intestine. The treatment would be to avoid alcohol, avoid taking non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, avoid eating chocolate, drinking coffee and tea, dairy products, avoid fatty, greasy foods, fast foods, processed meats, spicy foods, refined grains and corn, carbonated beverages, and acidic foods, including citrus, pineapple, and tomato products. A study in 2017 makes an excellent point. The common three antibiotics used to get rid of H. pylori often do not successfully eradicate H. pylori and suffer as due to antibiotic resistance, which is becoming more prevalent as overuse of, use of the antibiotics continues. And I've seen this. I've had patients who took the triple antibiotic therapy years, maybe two or three years before coming in, and when we did a DNA stool test, they still had the symptoms of having an ulcer, and they also had a positive test for H. pylori on their DNA stool test. Sometimes people are taking antibiotics for H. pylori, and not only are they killing off all their health-promoting probiotic or good bacteria, but they're not even killing off these H. pylori bacteria. Three probiotic bacteria that have been shown in scientific research to help fight H. pylori bacteria, remember that's the bacteria that causes ulcers, 
are lactobacillus fermentum, lactobacillus casei, that's C-A-S-E-I, and lactobacillus brevis, B-R-E-V-I-S. Some of the supplements that we found helpful in eradicating H. pylori include mastic gum. It's been shown to relieve stomach pain and it helps your body to inhibit H. pylori. MSM is a derivative of the amino acid methionine and it's found in cabbage. Studies have shown that cabbage juice can help support the lining of your GI tract and inhibit H. pylori. Zinc carnosine. Zinc is key to addressing GERD and acid reflux because zinc rebuilds the lining of your intestinal tract. DGL licorice relieves symptoms and it helps to repair your gut lining. Also broccoli sprouts. Research published in Digestive Diseases and Sciences found that 78%, that's seven out of nine people of the subjects who consume broccoli sprouts, either 14, 28, or 58 grams, two times per day for a week, tested negative for H. pylori at the end of the seven days, and six of the subjects still tested negative uh, at day 35 of the study. Most recently, in 2017, research published in the journal Current Pharmacological Design demonstrates that not only can sulforaphane and broccoli sprouts fight against H. pylori and gastritis, but it can also help protect the gastrointestinal damage commonly caused by dangerous non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. A 2016 study found that people who took garlic and had H. pylori and consumed two medium-sized cloves of garlic, that's about three grams with their lunch, at noon and dinner and in the evening had a significant reduction in H. pylori. This demonstrates that garlic has antibacterial effects specifically towards H. pylori. You can also try taking a half a teaspoon of baking soda in a glass of water. This can help relieve the symptoms. Your body naturally produces sodium bicarbonate or baking soda. It's produced in your gallbladder and your pancreas, and it's, it's um, squirted out every time you eat because once that acid ball of food comes in from your stomach, your small intestine and gallbladder will shoot out baking soda or sodium bicarbonate to help neutralize the acid in the small intestine so your digestive enzymes can work. Let's look at a general H. pylori diet or an anti-inflammatory low-carb diet. Following a low-carb diet can help alleviate some of the gas and increased pressure associated with gastritis. Ideally, 50 to 70% of what's on your plate should be non-starchy vegetables, cruciferous vegetables, especially broccoli and uh, broccoli sprouts, healthy oils including olive, avocado, macadamia, Fresh fruit, including watermelon, pomegranate, small amounts of ba- uh, banana, and other low-acid fruits. Less than 20% of your diet can be from pastured meats, wild-caught fish, organic nuts and seeds, non-gluten grains such as quinoa, millet, or wild rice, and beans if you can tolerate them. To fight off helicobacter pylori symptoms, it's best to avoid caffeine, carbonated beverages, pickled foods, spicy foods, acidic foods like citrus, tomato, and pineapple, low-fiber grains, corn, and junk foods packaged, processed, and high in fat, foods high in bad fats and sugar, and dairy products. It's also really important to reduce your stress. 
If you have H. pylori, stress can definitely make your symptoms worse. So it's important to incorporate some stress relievers. If you love to walk, then take a walk. If you love to run, go for a run. Some ideas include deep breathing, yoga, any type of exercise, meditation. We like something called The Three Principles. And uh, listening to Eckhart Tolle also, he's funny, entertaining, and relaxing to listen to. If you'd like to see any of the products I recommended today, or that I recommend in my office, or get a transcript of this podcast, please go to drgala.com. That's D-R-G-A-I-L-A.com. I also work one-on-one with clients, so feel free to book an online appointment when you visit us. Again, that's drgala.com, D-R-G-A-I-L-A.com. In our next episode, we'll be discussing problems within your small intestine, IBS and SIBO. Thanks so much for listening.